Welcome to the Dangerous Women podcast. My name is Sophie Norris and I'm a co-founder of the Dangerous Women Collective, a cohort of fabulous, talented, dangerous women created with the ambition of bringing women together to help and empower one another however they can. On today's episode, we're chatting with Nicola Johnson Marshall and Callie Louie, the co-founders of coaching and mentoring consultancy Working Wonder. Together, they work to empower businesses to create positive working environments and relationships that in turn drive innovation, creativity, productivity and profitability. Pulling from their wealth of experience in big consumer brands and communications agencies, Nicola and Callie confidently embrace and create the working environments of the future. Please forgive the lumps and bumps and background noises in this episode. We all got a little animated. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Dangerous Women Collective podcast. I am super excited to have two <laughs> fabulous women uh, who have been part of the collective uh, pretty much since the get-go. Uh, they are the founders of Working Wonder, which they're going to talk about in a minute. We have Nicola Johnson-Marshall and Callie Louie with us today. So great to see you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Great. So... I mean, I'm just going to say this is my first threesome podcast, so ha, ha, ha. <laughs> also first twin sisters, so I feel like I've got quite a job ahead of me. There's, I'm sure, a mind meld going on that I'm going to have to crack into. But so I thought what we'd start with is you are not as one all the time, I know, and you've followed your own individual career paths to get to where you are today. So I'd love to hear those from you both, if that's all right. And I thought we might start with you, Nicola. Can you just tell us how you got to here and then, and how you got to to working wonder that point up until that point yeah and uh hello thank you for having us and um yes we are twins and it's quite funny because i'm the youngest by two minutes so tally usually gets to go first so I I'm say, this is unusual you've gone first <laughs> I, know. Oh, I feel i'm already <laughs> subverting everything I'm feel, i know go me <laughs> so thank you but um but yeah so i started my career in communications in pr so i started pr agencies um i worked in a number of different PR agencies around London, uh, worked for, well, did everything from um, consumer PR, corporate PR, um, B2B, crisis, across so many different brands uh, for about the first third of my career. Um, And then I moved in-house and worked for various different brands such as eBay, lastminute.com, Barclays, LinkedIn, um, and sort a lot of little tiny marginal <laughs> yeah, names that might, no one's heard of. Yeah, heard throw of those in yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, worked both in London and got did actually have a stint in the US where I got tran- uh, transferred over there when I worked oh, at wow, eBay, wow. which was amazing. In, in, Sa- in San Francisco, amazing. yeah, for two years, which was the most amazing uh, time professionally and personally for me. Um, so, yes, I've always worked in communications. I've covered also marketing, internal comms, um, and sort of integrated marketing as well. So, yeah, that, that spans probably about well 20 25 years of my career brilliant yes that's and me thank you nicola kelly yes. are, are you comms person too uh, i'm more marketing so uh, i started as a pa uh, m and c sarchi because i missed the grad scheme and i wanted to get in the industry and i figured just get your face in there and do a good job and then good things happen um, from there, I went to DLKW, uh, went to Karmarama. I spent quite a long time with both of those agencies. Uh, I very much feel like they are part of my soul and part of my kind of family, my work family. And I've had so many roles and worked on so many different brands within those businesses that I never, ever felt like I stood still. And I think what's interesting in today, so so often people move jobs every couple of years. And I stayed at DLKW for seven years. I was at Kamaram for 12. 
But the agencies went through so much change, you know, from 30 people to being sold to a big sort of global network. It just change is really exciting. And I think for me, you know, that's what keeps me energized and enthused about my career and that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I just want to say as well, like during that time, I also became a parent, uh, as did yep. Nicola. And I think as a woman, it's really important to point to that and experienced miscarriages, unfortunately, at work and went through IVF, etc. And that's always a challenge, mm. as well as having a baby uh, and being a working mum at the same time. I think we're in a very good room because I am still in my first job. <laughs> I had an interview 30 years ago and whilst I've, things have changed around me, I've sort of been the constant weather, bell, bellwether through all of that. And I'm mean, the same as you, I've never been bored. No. Um, and it's also enabled me to be the person at work I've wanted to be. So, I, you know, I could have children. Mm -hmm. I was in a very supportive atmosphere to do that probably a bit like you. Yep. Uh, I was able to move out of London into the countryside where I wanted to be because work enabled. But I've been hybrid working for 16 years. So, you know. Amazing. Oh, Trailblazer. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, I just hid. But yeah, no, no, no. It was good. So um, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying about being working mums. And I think I'm, I'm really happy to lean into that conversation if we go forward, because I think whilst I think all women have their unique perspective to bring to work, uh, Working mums have been behind the door for a long time and I think yes. it's time for us to shout loud about what we do and the unique perspectives that we bring. So, was it being mums that made Working Wonders happen or, or how did that all come together? No, it, it happened, we'd both got to stages in our career that we felt we'd done everything that we could currently do. And I think as you get more senior in the world of advertising, for example, I think you felt the same, yeah. is you sort of step away a bit more from the day-to-day -day work and you get more involved in the running of a business and looking after people and much more ingrained in what culture is it that we can create. And it was sort of at the same time, really. We both thought, actually, for us, that is the thing that's super exciting mm -hmm. about work life and what we do and you know how can you make and create a really positive working culture that creates work happiness for everyone and the more we talked about it the more we realized we wanted to use that as a focus for our day jobs and we're we both lean into conversations all of the time we're never going to go in and just do the job that's written on the job spec we are always going to have that wider kind of reach into an agency or a business and, yeah. and how we drive that positive change so we thought why not take a leap of faith and go for it. So we retrained as career coaches. You trained before me, didn't you? Because you yep. left LinkedIn before I left Karmarama. And we started with an Instagram account, just writing, you know, kind of giving advice and career tips, et cetera, and, and talking on the topic. And before we knew that, that started to really grow and grow. And then we, our first client um, was a really big music brand that we're not allowed to mention the name of. Curses. Um, and, and it went from there, really. And we started doing, um, you know, training and workshops. And then obviously lockdown hit. Uh, so we started in the Ninth. August, wasn't yes. it? So it was and a six, seven month run of it. Yeah. yeah. And then we were in the middle of uh, working with a client and, they're like, and, they, and they said, oh, um, so can you do everything virtually now? We're like, yep, quick Zoom tutorial, brilliant. And we transformed to, um, you know, running things virtually overnight. But then obviously what happened with the pandemic, as everyone was trying to work out what does work look like now? How can we support staff? Obviously, loads of people being furloughed. Companies stopped training budgets. 
because it was just a survival mechanism that was going on. So what we decided to do, because we'd sort of already learned so many good skills, is we started doing pay-what-you-can workshops to support Amazing. anybody who was lacking in confidence because of working from home was a very different dynamic. And that kind of lack of relationships and those spontaneous conversations. We um, supported people who were going through furlough. So in the end, I think we we did workshops for over 500 people during that period, didn't we? At one go or individually? Uh, Over over, the weeks. I think, gosh, I can't remember how many workshops we did. I don't know. We did did a lot because we... It was interesting. We didn't have a business plan. And if our mum's listening to this, she'll kill us because she said the first thing when you set up a business is have a business plan. She sounds wise. (laughs) (laughs) She's a very astute businesswoman herself. But it just showed us that actually, if you've got that spirit and you just have to roll with what the economy is, what's happening in the economy, what's happening in society. And we're all about workplace culture. We've seen way more transformation in workplace cultures during the pandemic than we have in 20 odd years of working. So we were like, we want to be progressive. We want to ride that storm. I think the the fact we've always worked in fast paced industries like news and PR and and advertising as well, we were quite able to look ahead and and think about, well, actually, how can we help people? And we're big believers in karma. We were helping people for free and then it evolved in people recommending us for coaching. Then we started to charge for the workshops. Then companies were coming to us and saying, actually, can you run it for our teams? So, you know, putting in the graft at the start, we feel is still, is still, we're reaping hopefully the rewards of now. I think that's very much Um, the ethos of the collective as well, isn't it? You put it out there, it will, it will come back. Actually, at the, I'm interested to what you say, because that, that feels quite organic. I'm sure it wasn't, was it that organic or, so the theme of the last collective was, um, ask right you yeah. need to, to well there was two there's one was intergenerational but yeah. the other was you know women are not always good at asking for what they want as men mm-hmm. and that i think we need to do that particularly in safe spaces that we create so how much asking nicola did you have to do in getting from something where you're just putting out good karma to where you were where you were monetizing it yeah monetizing sometimes feels dirty i think to it, women that's so interesting because we went through a whole um value questioning our value when mm-hmm. we we didn't switch careers completely but when you retrain into a different discipline you do have a bit of a crisis of confidence in in the way you think well how can I now charge for coaching because we don't have traditional HR backgrounds and we've never said we do and then we sort of had a light bulb moment when we said actually people aren't just paying for our coaching qualifications they're paying for our 20 odd years experience working in corporate environments managing teams being senior leaders working in lots of different um, industries so once you get comfortable with that we recognized our value um and to your point about asking that was quite unusual for us because we're not natural sales people um and as, as i said we would give a lot away for free We've learned over the years to be a bit more transparent about asking for recommendations. We first, we've got very large networks because, I mean, I've worked at millions of companies. Callie has worked at companies for a long time. So we first were able to go out to our network. And then a bit like what you do brilliantly with your collective is we then get people to recommend us to another person. So first we were just coaching people we knew. Then it was they would recommend us to someone else and then that person would recommend us to someone else so it would grow organically. We've never done paid for advertising or paid for social media. We've grown our brand because we're <laughs> comms and, and, you know. Yeah, we built our own website. Yeah, did all we, our social. We, we did it all ourselves. Um, but the asking for help bit, it, 
it is hard and you have to show a bit of vulnerability and and we that i think we've both struggled with a little mm. bit haven't we if, if i'm honest and i think you have to be uh, sorry can i just think as a woman you also have to be prepared for well there are knockbacks in asking yes. aren't there always because there's always a no or oh, you didn't ask that in the way i wanted it to be asked or whatever and so that's quite a tough skin approach yeah and i guess women aren't i mean not all women obviously and i'm generalizing but that again isn't always when we want to be so perfect in all the things that we do it's quite hard to get knocked back so how did you manage yeah. how do you manage that because when i see you two you are as particularly at the collective you are a force and it's amazing <laughs> but i'm sure you've had nice. to build in that resilience you know what it really helps having each other mm -hmm. and partly it goes back to being twins obviously we know we've been in a womb together but actually we push each other to ask more so right. as you know for context if you know, you know we have a contact that we sort of know we get oh is it a bit awkward asking the other one will go no just write the email put in the phone call get it done or even things like negotiating on you know, what, what, how much are we going to charge for X, Y, and Z? Sometimes I'll go, right, I think we should do this. And Nick will go, no, actually, we know our worth. We're going to go in. So we have each other. Not so, everyone has that, though. No, that, exactly. Yeah. To, and, you know... You, you, does that you, come you, up you, in your coaching? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does. And I suppose we've always been each other's cheerleader. And I think, you know, to the point we were talking about at the start, about, you know, setting up a business, it really helps to do it with someone else. Yeah, I think cheerleader is a man, woman, mm. Yeah, they, them, he, her, whatever it might be. Having a cheerleader is vital. Definitely. And I think not having one, where however that manifests and wherever they come from, can be really detrimental to not to your well-being and work. And especially when you're setting up a new business, it's hard, right? We it has we've definitely had highs and lows, yeah. and the lows can be quite extended periods of lows. But having each other, that there will always be one of us on any given day who will be going, actually, it's okay. I can see what the future looks like, etc. And can give each other a bit of a pep talk and, and just to push each other a little bit further and go, you know what, if that ask hasn't gone quite where we wanted to, that's not necessarily a failure. That's a learning for what we're going to do next time or let's explore a different approach. Yeah. You touched on something earlier, Nicola, which I wanted to dig into a little bit more. So you talked about when you switched to coaching for a long time, I, you sort of had, I guess, an imposter syndrome, a bit like, why are we doing this? And why will people pay for this? And it wasn't until you worked out the value that you were bringing that you felt you unlocked the secret to it. I just wonder if that's a very peculiarly female way of looking at things. And I've been reading things like The Authority Gap and quite a lot of books at the moment. And I don't think men have that same issue of you know i have to be deep into the subject and 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 proven myself 50 million times before somebody's going to pay for it do you do you have any thoughts on that it's just a very interesting yeah we when we coach people we talk a lot about um when they're negotiating say if they either pay negotiate rises, pay yeah. rise or they're negotiating a, a new role and um cindy gallup who is famous in the advertising industry mm -hmm. she now lives in new york and, and runs a, a startup in the sex industry interestingly but she is amazing at talking about negotiating and knowing your worth and and there are a number of like tips and tricks that you can do and you're right it is stereotypically a more more feminine trait where you've you've have that lack of confidence but she often says look Think of a number and double it, you know, you know, really push yourself to go, go wild in asking. And I always say, 
it's a negotiation. So, you know, if go in with a higher number and then you negotiate down, but you're far better going in way higher than you were thinking mm. in, in the first place. It, it Yeah, it is hard, but I think that being transparent about it, recognising it, working out your worth, talking, as I said, you don't necessarily have to have a business partner or a, a person. You can have a colleague or have a friend Play it with them and, and pretend that they're negotiating for you is sometimes a good thing or you're negotiating on behalf of someone else. So I think that the self-awareness is key, recognising, well, look, I may have a natural tendency to to, to lowball my worth. I'm now going to think I'm going to highball it and see how that makes me feel or see how that materialises when I'm trying to negotiate something. And if you're a manager, recognising that actually if you're hiring women or if you're in the recruitment process, make the conversation about pay and reward more normalised. You know, mm. you know, you can do something as an employer as well. Have pay transparency. If, if you are advertising roles... Every role I see on LinkedIn, and once I get a beer in my bonnet, I don't stop. I, I, any role I see advertised for a comms role, I, I write in the thing, if it hasn't got it, what's the pay salary band for this role? Because research has proven if you're in a minority group, if you're, if you're female, if you're an ethnic minority, you are way more likely to apply for a role if you see the salary band, because then you have a perception of what that role is worth, because your natural tendency is to think, I'm not good enough for that role. And it just gives you that step up when you're negotiating. Um, so there are things that companies can do to support people and recognise it as well. So I, th I think as well, um, what's been really good to see on some job applications lately or um, the job specs going out into the market is that people are writing you don't have to have all of these skills to apply. Yeah. Right. Which I think is brilliant because that's just a nod to understanding that some people, you know, when they look at a job spec and go, okay, I can do six out of ten of those things, won't apply, whereas other people will. And I really yes. like that little kind of touch. But on the imposter syndrome thing, I, I thought you were going to say this because this is always your being your bonnet about imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Do you want to say it? OK, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I won't rant because Callie knows. I Feel get free to rant. rant. <laughs> I am annoyed at the phrase imposter syndrome oh, okay. because I think the... Um, especially the women's consumer media has turned it into a women's thing. Yeah. And I don't think it's exclusive to women because we coach hundreds of men and women. And interestingly, the more confident someone appears, the minute you have a coaching session with them, any insecurity will come yeah. out. And, and actually everyone has a little bit of some form of insecurity that has in, has happened during their childhood during their professional career and i worry sometimes that the media has fueled it to make it sure it's it's just a thing it's gendered. so yeah so yeah. it's it's not that i think it's great to talk about it i think it's great to raise self awareness i think it you don't need to get hung up on like i don't think it's a I suffer from imposter syndrome. It's like at various times I may be insecure about something. Totally. So I, that's more my way of looking at it. I know that makes... To normalise it a bit more, I suppose. That makes sense. I think what I was also referring to is the... And again, it's a lot in this Authority Gap book, which I... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm eyeballing I'm, that book. I'm obsessed about it. Obsessed about it. Obsessed about it. Is that women over-prepare, no matter what their seniority is. So they will, you know, stay up all night, they'll research, da 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 and men just you know, balls to the wall, everything that they yeah. do all the time. Again, that's generalisation. But, and, you know, and then the book has many examples of, you know, high court judges and da da da, da. And, and just when you said that you, you, you had to know that you were worth something before you could do it, that's more where I was coming from, I think, mm -hmm. as well as, because I agree, imposter syndrome is anybody when they 
change something or just suddenly in a moment of you know turmoil of whatever however that manifests mm. but do you think there'll ever be a time when either men feel they need to prepare that much or women just don't worry about it so much or is it just so ingrained into who we are and how we're raised I, part of it is practicing it yeah my advice is if find opportunities to push yourself out of your comfort zone i remember when i was young i literally couldn't sleep two nights before a new business oh. pitch i couldn't eat i know and it, you know I yeah. know I feel like, but now I'm just jazz hand everything out. And, <laughs> and I do realise it's because it's, I've been doing it for 30 years and it's probably, yeah, you know, exactly. I've been practising my whole life. So, but it, yeah, just couldn't sleep awful. No, mm. it's scary. But it is, and we I, should remember that, I think, when there's people coming up through work, yes. how huge some of these things are. And particularly, mm. again, I, I think maybe particularly women who just aren't trained at school and to stand up in front of women quite the same way. I hope with my children that's changing because I see two very confident yeah, young I women. It certainly wasn't my experience. Yeah, I think at school they spend a lot of time from quite early in primary school now. doing the soapboxes mm. and getting them to talk about things they enjoy talking about, etc. So I feel like that is a skill that is building. And it's hard, right? Because some people find it very easy and natural and others don't. And it's, I think that's where preparation comes in, regardless of your gender. You've got to find 100%. what you need in the room to build your confidence. But yeah. also, I think there's um, privilege as well. So mm. if you totally. are from a you know, diversity demographic point of view, if you're always in a position of privilege, and I'm going to use, if you're a white man in the room, chances are you may be in the majority. Whereas if you are any other you know, ethnic minority or, you know, uh, in a minority because of your gender, sexual orientation, etc. You may not feel like you belong in, in that environment. So we're really passionate about having more diverse and inclusive working environments because then you come into the room and you automatically feel it, feel at ease. So, you know, give examples when when I've worked in house and I hire agencies, the one thing that irritates me no end in a pitch is if an agency team comes in and they're not diverse. And, and you know, sometimes I, I won't work with agencies unless they produce, a, you know, because of diversity of thought. And also, you know, embarrassingly, the, a lot of the industries I've worked in aren't that diverse either. So I think if you are having a more inclusive environment, like you say, if you're a young woman, say a young black woman, for example, coming in, you won't feel, you might feel slightly better if you see other people that you can relate to. And and that is a much more, and I'm not just saying it's purely on the demographic diversity, but I do think that plays quite a role no, in I it. Couldn't agree right. There's a, a, I'm going to, I'm doing the massive plug for this freaking book, <laughs> The Other Origin Gap, but there's an incredible quote in there and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to find it, but it basically says, if you don't represent um, women's voices, you are only representing 50% of the population and therefore you're only releasing 50% of the world's potential, which which was just incredibly powerful. Multiply that by, as you've said, sexuality, mm -hmm. ethnicity, opportunity, and you're multiplying that by how, you know, we should be releasing 100% of the world's potential whenever we can. So I'm, you know, I'm joining the 100% club because I, I couldn't too. agree more. <laughs> I know, it's a, it was very powerful. I will send it to you both. Yeah, no, And no. we'll put it in the show notes. So I, I'm really interested because you, you are obviously working with all sorts of people all the time um, and you're really on the front line I guess of people's um, careers and how they're wrapped up in their emotions and they feel about themselves so particularly from a female point of view I guess what are you starting to post pandemic are you, are you hearing new conversations are you finding new problems or, or opportunities arising where how, how's that feeling is it sort of changed as you've gone through 
pre pre and post pandemic? I, I mean, as I said earlier, I'm, still, I'm feeling like I hope so. But yes, I, yeah. yeah. As yeah. I said earlier, I thought we we definitely saw way more normalization and transformation mm. of workplace culture yeah. but during the pandemic flexible working was normalized it wasn't just a stigmatized thing that you had to beg for so if you're a working parent it, everyone obviously had to work flexible overnight and then it hasn't gone back thankfully to everyone physically working in an office again so that opened up loads of opportunities of flexible working practices which opens up opportunities for different sexualities different yeah. genders different ge- geographies which i think is so exciting yeah, yeah. It, it definitely definitely has transformed i think there we talk a, a lot our philosophy is all about going forwards to work so mm-hmm. taking all those learnings and putting it into practice and we work with a lot of brilliant progressive companies who are like right what have we learned from this how can we now change our policies to make sure they're more inclusive you know how can we create this hybrid working environment that continues how can we you know still stay productive and still make sure people feel engaged and they're you know working as teams i think another area that has massively evolved is around leadership skills um and stereotypically mass more masculine leadership skills were favored for years you know more aggressive directive so i actually think now leadership skills are much more evolving into more feminine leadership traits so um and and again you know, like vulnerability, kindness, collaboration. And so I really see that as a positive. And and we, as I said, coach a lot of men and and senior men. And I'm saying to them now, you need to move with the times and maybe think about upskilling yourself to make sure you continue to stay employable and that you continue to be a, a brilliant role model. Everyone should be adopting these new leadership skills as well. So there are definite glimpses of positivity and we're definitely really trying to champion that. Not all organisations are as quick at adopting it. Um, But I think, again, the more progressive companies with the culture and values that are positive, people will want to work for them. So I think it's good for your business if you were thinking about it that way as well. Interesting. And in one of our podcasts uh, earlier, Callie, I don't know if you've listened to it yet. It was the with the uh, FT working uh, correspondent she was actually it was really interesting because we're all from this world she was saying that the world of media actually throws up some quite conservative working practices long hours quite often quite particularly in advertising still fairly mm. male dominated etc yeah. etc uh, and actually some of the some of the industries that you you might not say financial services or tech are far more open to switching things up to stay relevant as we move forward have you noticed that in your work I, I think I'm just worried that The pandemic is becoming a forgotten thing that happened and there is a bit more of a shift to getting people back into office spaces. For for whatever reason. For whatever reason. And I know change is difficult for many people, but everything changes all of the time. It's called evolution. Yes. And, um, Thank you, Darwin. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And, 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 And change can be a positive and... I just worry that the easy route is to just go back to what was being done before. And I don't think enough is being done to go, no, let's think about what we're doing to go forwards. We have all of this amazing hybrid working. The tech is in place now. You think it wasn't really in place before. And I think companies need to just keep thinking about what is the next best solution? What is the next best solution? Let's build on what we have because it has opened up the playing field for so many people. And I think the challenge often, if there are businesses that are being run by white men, they might want to go back to what it was before. Surely they want to be playing golf. Yeah, well, (laughs) 
Um, Deliberate so, laugh, so we know that yes, was a joke. Yes, exactly, yeah, no. jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm... That's my worry, is that people are going to start to forget and just want it back as it was. And I just think there are so many brilliant, positive benefits. I agree. It makes for more inclusive work in practice, what we're doing. I agree. And it's interesting because I think I come from a, naturally I'm old. So I come from a place where like, I want people to be together. And I work in a creative mm. industry. So, you know, creativity comes from being together. La, la, and I were, how do people make, I'm, you know, I met my husband through work. I made lots of my friends through work. I think the Dangerous Women's Collective is built off friendships made through yeah. work. So, I'm not so I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm mm. coming around to this. So I sit there going, how will people meet people? And and then I look at my children who are using dating apps, not for dating, but to meet friends in place. So my daughter's mm. just been interrailing. She used I, Bumble or Tinder, I can't, whatever, just to meet people while she was out and about traveling, other girlfriends. Yeah. And I think, who am I to impose <laughs> yeah, how social I structures it. or working mm. norms or where I came from? And I, yeah, so I think it'd be really interesting to listen to new voices Mm. about how they want to work and what it is. And, you know, it's our, it's our fault, legacy's fault, that we have giant, great, mm. big office buildings. Yeah. It's not the new generation's fault. So I worry about that too. I think yeah. it's really interesting and I worry that we're imposing how we feel it should be and not how it's going to be. Yeah, or what an agency culture should be like yeah. because there's no reason why it can't exist in a virtual world as well. Um, I, I, I get your point, though, because I think culture and where you work and that how you feel is super important but you should feel that same feeling regardless of whether you physically walk through a front door or turn on the virtual front door which is your teams or your zoom and I think it's about every you know every place has a purpose so what are you using that space for I agree and how can you encourage collaboration in that space versus a you know physical versus virtual and and you build out your culture, and you know to your point as well, it's about involving everyone in the question, in the solution, I guess, and getting people to ask questions and come up with answers. Because I think often what happens is everyone looks to the leadership team to solve it, and that that solution isn't necessarily there. It's everybody's job to make working culture. But also the leadership better. is being driven by what does my PL say? What are mm -hmm. my costs? I'm paying for this fucking building. So we're yeah, gonna put yeah. people in yeah. it. And also by the way, I get that too. Yeah. Like empty space is heartbreaking, I think, mm. as well. But but you know, it's only been what, two years since the pandemic. Yeah. So I but it is it is the conversations need to happen now yeah. is what you're saying. So I think that's really, really interesting. And I think what And the rush back to the office is not the solution. No, exactly. And but I think McKinsey did a really good bit of research around um the impact of people transitioning out of the pandemic. Mm. So this was a year or so ago now. And leaders transition quicker out of the pandemic because they either have access to or they have the information so they're either making the decisions themselves or they have access to that information so they go okay great we can see that path we're going on brilliant what happens with the rest of the working population is you're still on that guessing game so and then the gap is getting bigger between leadership teams and their staff and there's a communication gap going on which then creates this parent-child dynamic mm. which means that let's call them the kids not i don't mean that in a derogatory way but then they're getting frustrated that they can't see what leadership's doing leadership the parents are getting annoyed because they're like the kids aren't doing what we tell them to do so the adult to adult conversation suddenly goes awash so you've got to get back to that adult to adult yes. relationship and mm -hmm. go, you know, we're here to solve the problem together. 
Let's put our best first step forward. And do you think women are in a better position to help bridge that gap in that I guess we're communicate arguably better communicators or it's built it's built into our DNA. Yeah. You know, we I, use I, all the words. I think it's just knowing that that's a challenge mm -hmm. or, or having it on your radar, not thinking, yeah, great, I know where we're going, but thinking, what does everybody else think? And it's about knowing the right questions to ask, I think. And just, again, inviting people into the conversation. I think, you know, sometimes leaders, and maybe I'm stereotyping a bit, but, you know, men might not necessarily naturally think to ask someone else how they're feeling. Well, because if it's they parent, wouldn't ask child, their own mate, let yes, alone. No, exactly. <laughs> and they probably weren't involved. And again, I'm being very generalistic, but you know, there's a different role in a father's parenting of a child than a mother's mm -hmm. parenting of a child. And it's not all about communication all the time. No, exactly. <laughs> no. Or just noticing how somebody's feeling or, yeah. or reflecting on how you felt back then. Or, you know, when you were that level, I think there's an yeah. element of that probably comes a bit more naturally to women than it, it does. It's the men. emotional intelligence and the nurturing mm. that, again, it's the human connection of, of relationship. In your work, do you have men, Nicola, do you have men coming to you asking to upskill in those areas or do you have to tell them? Not enough. <laughs> okay. I'm smiling, you can't see it on here. <laughs> I was like, if only. Yeah. I, I'm subtly telling a lot of male leaders and, and you know, whenever Callie and I are in organisations, I mean, it's quite good actually when we go in as consultants, we can have actually quite frank conversations with them and in a, in a professional way. And don't get me wrong, I want white men, senior men in the companies because 100%. it's way more powerful if they're progressive with their outlook because then it stops us all having to champion for it. And, actually, and they uh, the right reality is they're going to pull behind rather yes. than us push. Yeah, right? so, so it needs I would to happen. love it. So if yeah. anyone on the podcast listening wants a senior man to come and be coached by us, 100% we would love that. And, and that's all about having that progressive outlook, isn't it? it it's recognising my way of leading may not be as relevant in in today's environment. A lot of people have been quite threatened or vulnerable now, you know, you know, uh, senior leaders are thinking, you know, I've, I've had a position of privilege, which I'm grateful for, but actually no one does that mean now I won't be hired again. And I'm saying, well, why do you think that? Why are, why are you not championing diversity in the workplace? Because it's going to benefit you as much as, as anyone else, but you've got to evolve and change and support it as well. So, no, a long answer, but no, we haven't got enough people asking us and we would love them to. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, and I'm sure Sam will shoot me, so I'm glad she's not in the room. <laughs> but I think there's definitely a place for fabulous men in the Dangerous yes. Women Collective. Agreed. And I think it was Oprah Winfrey who called them, you know, behind every stellar woman, there is a fabulous man. Yeah. Obviously, Sam and I created the Dangerous Women's Collective because of our absolute loathing of traditional <laughs> networking. What are your strategies for dealing with sort of old school suits and warm glasses of wine networking <laughs> as opposed to, you know, to, to create the network that, that cheerleads for us, which is what we all need? I think if you Google search networking, I know exactly what room you mean. Those horrible like stickers on suits type rooms. I quite like badges because <clears throat> I'm old and I can't remember. First, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't mind a badge, but it's that kind of fear of no. walking in going, who am I actually going to talk to? It is a men in suits world out there. Yeah, it, networking. That's what you imagine in it, your. It is. That's what they put on the office, right? On TV shows. Yeah, that, you know. it, exactly. And I've, I don't like it either. And it's and. And I know you don't like it, and I know Nick, you don't like it. And but it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're all confident people, and when I say that to people, 
they can't believe I don't like it. Oh, I get that. But you, you work in PR. Like, that means all I do is network. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just, the thought of walking up to a group of people I don't know is terrifying. However, if I was running the event or if um, I had a role within that environment, I wouldn't even think twice about going up to that group of people, interrupting, saying, hi, everyone, I'm Callie, nice to meet you, and, and talking about anything. It, it wouldn't bother me. So I find with networking, I try and either get my head in a headspace or, or find a role for myself, even if it's, oh, could I pass you a drink? Yeah. Or would you like a cup of tea? Or I try and give myself a role to then bring out that kind of inner confidence. I'm going to call confidence. this the Abigail's party strategy. <laughs> yeah. Volivant, anyone? Yeah. I know. Start by it's the a kitchen. metaphorical yeah, volivant. Yeah, there. exactly. Just to, or have someone as your wing person, yes. I think really helps. You two are cheating. But that's yeah, fine. Well, we're cheating. But <laughs> yeah. I, I find that helps as well, as long as you then don't just stand there, just the two of you. Or, or setting a challenge, I think, is really helpful. Like thinking, I'm going to get three connections on LinkedIn, etc. But... Ultimately, I think networking... So you get, gamify it a little I, bit. I do gamify it mm, a bit. And that's smart. I, I, think, I also try and think of it that it's about a conversation. I hate the word networking and the vision that it puts in everybody's head. And if you just go, you know what? It's an opportunity to meet someone and learn something. And it's a conversation. And if it goes badly... It doesn't matter. No. Like what? Like the. I doubt nothing. I doubt someone's going to tell you to, you know. (laughs) Well, they might, but you know. I mean, if they do, that's on them. Yeah, I agree. So you have to go. Actually, it's an opportunity. If I walk away having had a nice chat with somebody, that's brilliant. Nicola, how important do you think networking is for younger women coming up into the? So one of the things I loved about the Dangerous Women Collective is it is all ages. It's quite, mm. Everybody's fabulous, but there's quite a lot of seniorities and roles, which is why I think it's quite a s- safe environment. But, you know, when I was younger, it's when, you know, in an agency, it's often, hey, account executive, you go out, get 10 business cards and you come back and you're like, oh. so what, how, how important is it? I, I think it's really important. I think that was what was genius about your last event was that actually you brought someone along of a different generation and you didn't specify you have to bring a younger person. You actually could just bring it into generational. I thought it was really smart because then again, it's that sponsor that's coming with you arm in arm and you're learning from each other. But I do think that don't just think about networking as physical and, and I'm, I'm a real connector and actually I'm not like, as Callie said, she likes going, having a role at an event. I don't, I, I just like, I'm fine talking one-on-one with people. I don't like being the center of attention. So you like deep rather yeah. than many. Yeah, yeah. I will just have like conversations probably with like a few people, but won't work the room. But I think uh, even work the room. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I made myself cringe. But but That's I um, name. some man invented that, right? Yeah, Let's go course, work the yeah, room. I but I, um, without sounding like a cyber stalker, I love networking via social media. And not just because I used to work for LinkedIn. Way before I even worked for LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn because that's the window to people's careers. Now even more in LinkedIn, people are having conversations. You can see what they're interested in. So I make all of my connections through LinkedIn and other sort of social channels. I love connecting different people to different people. Me too. It's one of my favourites. Yeah, me too. Exactly. So I think your point about younger people, it's like, 
they've grown up with social media. Like you say, your daughters are using dating apps to find friends. It's like Brilliant, continue it? nurturing your networks virtually. So then when you come to an event, like I always, um, when I, we came to your event, I bought someone uh, we know through another network that we support called um, People Like Us, mm -hmm. which is for um, supporting different ethnic minority groups in the media and PR and comms Brilliant. and advertising industry. So I went to that network and said, who would like to come along to the Dangerous Women Collective? So you can then bring your connections to a physical event you might be going to. And again, it's not so scary, is it? Because you've got someone who, and I didn't even know the person that I brought along to your event. And Props. then by the end of the yeah. event, we, she's great. And, yeah. and you know, and, but yeah, so my point is it, it's for anyone coming into an industry younger, just nurture that network virtually and then, Physical events may materialise because of it, but Actually, don't just. Spot we on did that. that, didn't we, during lockdown? That yeah. we ended up through Instagram, we ended up working with someone and running an event with them, and she lived up in Yorkshire. Yeah. Oh, we would never have met her otherwise yeah. and just, just for started the listeners, chatting. you don't live in Yorkshire. No, we live, we live in London. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was so not together. That'd be no. weird. Um, but yeah, and it was brilliant because we would never have met her had it not been for lockdown, which pushed everything virtually as well. And I think that is mm. another great yeah. learning from lockdown, isn't it? That networking isn't just about being physically present in a room. It can be in whatever space you want it to be. And you know, if people don't feel confident walking into a room, you can feel confident DMing somebody or writing a comment on an article that they've written as a starting point yeah. and starting a conversation from there. Like, yeah, no, I remember ages ago talking to somebody and said, I hate networking, but I have enormous and I have a big network. Mm. So I know I'm doing it. It's yeah. just not I'm doing it yeah. in rooms. Yeah. I'm doing it in other spaces. And I think that's really powerful. So we always like to end on a question of, you know, trials and tribulations that we've all found at work as working women. And I think, Nicola, as you've worked in, you know, big banks and places like that where you perhaps have a lot of men in suits, I wonder if you've got any stories that you might be able to share with us where you've had to navigate interesting points of view, shall we say? Uh, yes. So... <laughs> yes, many. How long have you got? <laughs> Um, I went on a real journey with this, if I'm okay. honest. So I, I have worked in very white male dominated industries, you know, financial services, travel industry, actually tech, yeah. interestingly, actually every travel industry. Travel is bizarrely male dominated. Yeah. Nobody thinks that. Yeah. No yeah. So actually every industry I've worked in. But I, when I certainly worked in financial services, I was the only female my level in a department mm -hmm. at, at the time. And I wrongly thought I should mirror the behaviour of the other men that I was working with. So it was quite a testosterone-fueled environment, um, you know, quite aggressive. You know, friend, you know, I don't want to paint it all as negative. It wasn't, but it was a very dominant... Locker in, room. Yeah, docker, <laughs> dominant environment. And for a while, I tried to be one of them, which is really unnatural for me to behave in that way. And then I started getting feedback oh, you're a bit aggressive and punchy. And I was like, would you say that to a man? No. Probably not. But um, And I realised in fairness, I possibly was being because I was behaving unnaturally. And I was trying to butt into a conversation because I couldn't get heard in a way. So then I tried to actually, as I was evolving on this journey, I tried to inject a bit of humour because that mm -hmm. is more my way of, of how I am. And one trick I used to do is right on the 30th floor of the building in Canary Wharf is when it was getting very heated and a lot of potentially not 
um, you know, aggressive behavior going on or everyone arguing or whatever, I would walk up to a window, which you're not allowed to open because it's a massive safety hazard. And I'd pretend to open it. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, just need to get the testosterone <laughs> out the room. And then everyone, uh, they'd either glare at me or then they would laugh. And then mm. that just diffuse the situation but I also found when I came back as a working mum I actually felt invincible because I was a bit like well I've got a bit of a superpower now that I've had a kid and I've looked after a child for, you know okay for a baby for a year haven't and, dropped it yet yeah, yeah. And, I, and I sort of came back in and a lot of them were parents as well mm. but I felt I had this almost this power to say actually I've gone through way more this last year being on maternity leave. I can sort of deal, I had a much better perspective. And then I was like, I'm going to own being a working mum. So I then changed the way I acted as a leader. I then became the champion for working parents in the organisation, men and women. And so actually, rather than try and compete with them in a way that was unnatural to me, I tried to evolve it in that way. And I actually found professionally I was way more respected I mean, it took a while and it was frustrating that I had to go through that journey. But actually, for me, I thought that that was quite a useful learning. Just really be yourself and, and own it. And then eventually it will, you know, come round for you, I think. I love that your motherhood unlocked I know. that insight, which is <laughs> yeah. really empowering, isn't yeah. it? I know. But I think that's quite unusual. It is. Because un- I, I yeah. like we were talking about this earlier, that I, like where I worked and where I had, kids like super supportive and there are people who know that they literally like saved me on so many levels and but I did find it quite hard returning as a working parent and I thought it would be a kind of bonding moment because all the men I worked with were fathers but it was only a few months in when you know could see they were getting frustrated that I was leaving early let's say five not early um and getting really frustrated by it and I couldn't understand why because they were parents so they knew why I was going home and it was only when I realized that most of the men I worked with their partners didn't work therefore that they didn't have that pressure of if you miss that train it means you can't get back for nursery pickup, which means you can't which do... Is 10 quid a minute, which by is the 10 way. 10 quid a minute, know. exactly. No, no. And that's not a joke. No, no. no it's 10 quid a minute. Exactly. And so yeah. I've found it really hard and therefore felt like I was being judged because yeah, of it. That. And and that's difficult, right? And But then equally, I suppose, um, you know, to the point on navigating sexism. So that's one area. Another area, and uh, the same agency I was working at, is it just started to get a bit boys boys club and really heavily that every meeting you went into there'd be some banter about something or other bit derogatory not ever meant in a mean way but it was still derogatory and not necessarily aimed at me and me and another woman who I love Lisa decided that we needed to tackle it and we were both quite senior and I also think it's it's a challenge when you're more junior to try and affect change. But I always think if you try and affect change and if you don't feel comfortable, you need to talk to somebody else who can help you do that. We decided to set up an anonymous club called the Good Men's Club. And what we did was we created some posters which looked like they'd been made by our ECD, so our Executive Creative Director, to make them think it was him that oh, we yeah. put them up. He, did he know about this? He didn't know about it. Oh my God, you are secret we, we put them up all around the agency and said, if you identify as a good man, like email us on this address. So we had loads of people, men email us. We then 
put them into groups of two or three and said, we will meet you in this pub at this time. They didn't know it was us. So we chose a particularly, let's call it old man's pub. Me and Lisa, um, who I worked with, we then went and sat in the pub with our pints, even though we really wanted wine, but we sat there with our pints. And we, and then they were really surprised when they w walked in and it was the two of us. And they were like, what's going on here then? And we said, look, you've identified as good men, which is a really positive sign. We want to talk to you now about how we're feeling in the agency, that there feels like there are a lot of conversations that we feel uncomfortable with. We speak up in those meetings, but then get laughed at, etc. What do you feel about it? What's your read on it? And it was really interesting because many of them said, actually, we do feel like that. And sometimes we feel uncomfortable. And so we said back to them, well, would you say anything in that environment? And a lot of time they're like, oh, no, I wouldn't because it would be really awkward. And we're like, but could you say something next time it comes up? And it did change some of the behaviour. And it did, what was really nice then, next time you were in that situation and a good man, a self-identified good man, happened to be in the room with you, you knew you had an, an ally. ally. Yeah, amazing. In the room. So that was really good. So how I sort of tended to tackle those things was to go, I'm going to challenge it and I'm going to but positively challenge it to try and make a difference. I love the Good Men's Club. It was really, yeah. Did it continue? It did, yeah. It was really good. Did you have to keep drinking beer? Well, I changed to wine. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Rosé, all as well. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not having this. <laughs> Tell us how we can find out more about Working Wonder and you two fabulous people. Nicola, why don't you go first? Well, seeing as I've, I've been banging on about LinkedIn, I would say connect yep. with both of us on LinkedIn. We also have a, a company page on LinkedIn. And the reason I'm saying that is because we actually share loads of articles and tips and advice about careers and, and different um, workplace culture trends. And, and then our, and sign up to our newsletter. Oh, yes. And we also do a regular newsletter where we share workplace culture and um, coaching tips as well. Brilliant. And your website? www.workingwonder.co. Well, I have absolutely loved our conversation, ladies. It has been fun. I feel, you know, can I be a triplet in the twin thing? Of Probably course. not. But absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Some really, really useful insights. Um, into some, and some practical tips which I absolutely love I think everyone should check out Working Wonder and uh, we will obviously be seeing you at the next Dangerous Women's Collective events definitely thank you for having us yeah thanks thank so much lots of fun thanks <laughs> thank you so much to Callie and Nicola for chatting with us today it's so inspiring to hear their journeys to founding their business and what inspired them to begin focusing on this field I really enjoyed hearing about what we can do as business leaders to create a future-focused environment for our teams and clients, and I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dangerous Women podcast. To learn more, find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or at dangerouswomencollective.com.